the great and powerful demon, Balak the Rotting, swept across the desolate red wastes towards the temple, my lonely hideout. The horrific stench of this mutated flying creature with a vulture-like beak topped with small, beady eyes that promise nothing but pain and hatred towards all other living creatures. Considering himself the lord of the undying host, Balak has achieved something I had not yet, the total and complete domination of a horde of undying servants. This rotting tidal wave of once-living humans descended upon my domain, somehow magically held aloft on tattered and torn wings. I felt the ground shake as the massive bulk of Balak came hammering down outside of my domain. Feeling arrogant and sure of myself with my new defenses in place, this confidence soon wavered as the first of these undead minions entered into my domain, mindlessly thrusting themselves upon my devious traps. Before long, their tidal wave of rotting flesh and putrid decay overcame the best of my defenses. Besides a couple well-placed fire traps, my domain was primarily designed for protecting against the living. Misdirection and illusion and poisonous gases do little to affect that which is already dead. With the horrific broken cackle, Balak began to stalk down the winding and twisting corridors of the crypt that I had come to call home. I knew my time was short. Grabbing the ancient tome of my long-dead mentor, I prepared to make my last stand. However, with my own limits stretched to the end and a tidal wave of undead flesh surrounding me, the horrific, decaying demon spoke, its voice like that of melting wax, its beak barely able to form sounds understandable to my ears. Dripping with ichor and other viscous fluids, it demanded my surrender. It demanded my fealty. It demanded my sacrifice. It conspired to use me as a conduit for its own energies, to harness me as a reservoir of power, to suck me dry in order to achieve its own desires of total and utter obliteration of all mortal life. As luck would have it, Balak had one very important weakness. At this point in my life, I valued the tome I stumbled across as a youth more than anything. And by sheer dumb luck, I had specifically designed a special carrying device and protective cage for the binding of the ancient tome. So old and worn to time were its pages, yet I was unwilling to make a copy of the script, out of fear of it falling into either a rival's hands, or even worse, falling into the hands of one of the Templars dedicated to him. By seemingly dumb luck, Belloc, despite its incredible power, had one weakness, one flaw, as all demons do. He couldn't touch iron. It was poisonous to it. It would cause it immense pain, destabilizing its own inner being. Because of my foresight, or perhaps dumb luck, 
my tome of knowledge, my precious treasure, remain locked in its cage of iron, its power, its knowledge, never uncovered. The next few years were nothing more than a living hell for me. The horrific, rotting Balak used my energies to power himself, to make himself into a horrific nightmare of flesh and pus, reworking himself using my own vitality to where my own magical powers, my sorceries, were allowing him to regenerate almost to the point where his decay was kept in check. The downside of this for me was my once handsome young features, so reminiscent of nobility despite my birth to a minor noble family, was sucked out of me, leaving me desiccated looking, sunken, wrinkled, aged many decades in the few years the demon held sway over me. Beyond that, that bastard little imp I almost broke took out its frustrations on me. Weak by the standards of its kin, merely tethered to the great Balak by virtue of luck and devious wit, it took out its frustrations on me, clawing at me, tearing at my flesh, attempting to break my mind with its subtle lies and trickery. However, the insidious and devious nature of this little imp got the better of it, for I was able to trick it. I outsmarted the cunning and devious little bastard. I managed to convince it it had thoroughly broken me, and that it should report back to its master of its success. Using what little remained of my dwindling strength and resolve, I retrieved my tome, my book of knowledge from deep within the crypts. And like never before, after years of being separated, I felt whole once again. Cracking open the iron cage, I turned immediately to the source of my salvation. A powerful, confusing swarm of magical energy, designed to take the form of an illusion, of a distraction of a means of escape. Normally, that little bastard imp would have seen right through it. It is one of their strengths, after all. However, Belloc, with the hubris of much of its other kind, saw the swarm of iron-clad humans descending from the hills above the temple, harnessing all of his now considerably larger force of undead servants emptied the entirety of my once perfect home, emptied it out into a battle line with its horrific, winged, bloated corpse flapping above, calling out warnings and issuing threats of death and destruction upon the encroaching illusionary army. However, as any fledgling witch or warlock knows, the power of illusion is it can hurt you if you believe in it. And while Balak's minions stood, undead eyes not seeing nor perceiving the illusion, the massive horror believed it all, believed it was finally his time to prove its strength, its power, its domination over everything living. And even though when the little imp came out and started in its own mocking way, trying to dissuade Balak from against the illusion, it did not listen, and in its own pus-filled, weeping eyes, it could only see its inevitable triumph and the swelling of yet more minions into its undead horde. 
Lucky for me, this distraction allowed me to slip away with my tome, my years of research, my wonderfully designed temple. The temple, left festering, corrupted, and likely still inhabited by Balak and its horrifically twisted undead army. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome back to One Guy, One Roll, the solo role-playing podcast where I, your host, player, and GM Hero Cities, play role-playing games for your listening pleasure. Once again, in the spirit of Spooktober, we are diving back into the twisted mind of Varrock the Imperishable. Well, he's not known as the Imperishable yet in our story, but he will be. For we are exploring the journal of Varrock, the story of his, hopefully, eventual ascension into lichdom. I'm happy to be back and able to record another episode just in time for the spookiest of all the holidays. As of now, I do not know if we'll be able to quite finish up the story we are telling with Lichdom in this episode. However, things at work have slowed down a little bit as we get into what is a slower time of year for us, which is the holiday season and into the beginning of next year. Naturally, whenever I say I want to do something like produce more episodes, inevitably things come up, life gets in the way, or work needs me to go do something. And as I've mentioned before, when I'm at work, I'm not home. In fact, usually, I'm not even in the same country. Regardless, as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And without further ado, let's get into it. Upon being, well, evicted's the wrong word, but driven out of my home, the next few years were spent wandering wandering the world, trying to find another lair I could call my own, somewhere away from the prying eyes of the various kingdoms, and of course, from the corrupted, prying eyes of the clergy following the teachings of him. If they were to find me in my now admittedly somewhat weakened, although slowly recovering state, it could have potentially spelled my own downfall. My meanderings eventually brought me to the far north of this land, a wild region, icy fjords, and fog-hidden bogs. This wild land, home to a wild people, existed at the periphery of the great northern empire, nibbling away at the frontiers while it turned its attentions to its more southernly rival. Known as the Fjordlands, none of the petty northern successor kingdoms truly hold any sway here. This is a land of myth and legend, of both greater-than-life heroes and the horrors they fight during the long, long darkness of winter, while suffering the same cleansing fires as the rest of the old world. It was never truly cleansed of its old traditions, of its old ways, and in fact, rumor even has it, a certain type of wild hedge magic may still be practiced by the ununified tribes that dot this landscape in isolated settlements. 
What inspired me in my half-broken state to venture into this untamed icy wilderness, I may never know. However, it appears as though the next events in my life were inspired by the two of hearts. Not much could truly inspire an individual to venture into this frozen, desolate wasteland. Enterprising merchants have been known to traverse the landscape, ordered by their guild to deal with one tribe or another who inhabits this forlorn landscape. During the short summer, after the endless mud of spring has hardened and the cold, biting winds of fall have not yet blown, against my better judgment, I joined up with one of these traveling bands of merchants. They didn't ask much of me, and I didn't offer much to them. But strength in numbers is important in this windswept landscape. Even a cowled and hunched-over man like myself, now looking decades older than the mere forty winters I had seen at this point. A couple coins tossed their way is usually enough to halt any questions. However, as we continued venturing further north, I began to notice sidelong glances towards me from the caravan master. I'd catch snippets of whispered conversation around the dancing flames, which seemed to evaporate once I made myself present. They seemed to be plotting and scheming something. They claimed to be out here to procure furs from one of the local tribal settlements. However, they traveled with a caravan of cages, empty as of now. I didn't pay it much heed at the time, being in such a weakened state and still recovering from my ordeal with the demon, Balak. Finally, one especially chilly morning, despite being so-called summer, I overheard the master of this caravan discussing with his second-in-command a short little rat-like individual, about how they were going to find and subdue one of the various bands of hunters who prowl the icy, half-flooded bogs, how they were going to get the carts through, how they were going to bring them back to market, and more importantly, what they were going to do with me. They had a plan, I think, to rob me, They saw me clutching my tome, clearly valuable, clearly something I would not just give over to them in exchange for my life. The caravan guard, sure of himself and his pathetic band of guards, did exactly that the next day, threatening to throw me in one of the carts to wheel me back as one of their slaves, back to the markets in one petty kingdom or another. I showed them the folly of their ways, and I felt better for it. I feasted upon what remained of their dark souls. A new spell I had been working on, learnt from the vast tome, and tweaked to my own needs. Naturally, out in this frozen, desolate wasteland, a small band of desiccated corpses wasn't going to cause any alarm. However, amongst this black-hearted so-called merchant's goods, I discovered something very interesting. A journal. A journal inscribed in what appears to be blood. A journal written in the ancient yet strange angular script of this northern land. 
called runes, a language I cannot decipher, a language I would need help to discover what was in this journal. Apparently, I would need to seek out one of the rumored practitioners of ancient magics, followers of a dead religion who still inhabit the misty fjords of this forlorn place, leaving behind the desiccated corpses of the slavers, with my boots sucking every step through the mushy, boggy marshes, I continued on my journey. I would spend the better part of the next winter ingratiating myself to one of the tribes huddled amongst the jagged rocks and icy cold waters of one of the numerous fjords in this wild land, and begun to ask probing questions. Questions that ordinarily get you run out of town, or worse, burned at the stake by some especially fervent follower of him. Unfortunately for me, despite their looks, the wild people of this land closely guard their secrets, not divulging them willingly to some random foreigner who randomly shows up out of the mists. Growing weary of my constant lack of success, I began asking questions that probed a little too deeply. For one frozen, moonless night, with the endless splattering of stars shining across a rare, clear night, I was deep in meditation over this runic journal, frustratingly trying to seek inspiration to make meaning out of the seemingly jarbled nonsense. When I felt something off, a subtle alarm bell ringing in my head. The small hut which I had seemingly erected overnight was protected, of course, with many traps and alarms, and of course, an illusion surrounding the whole area. However, somebody managed to almost get through everything. In fact, they were about to open my front door sinking deeper into the shadows permeating the gloomy interior of this deceptively large hut. Two small, shadowy forms manage to undo the arcane trap I have on the door, and stealthily, not making even remotely a sound, enter into my domain. Little did these two thieves know, they have no escape, they have no chance of surviving. Four long days I kept them, my magics, of course, stifling their screams of agony, their wails to let it all end. And by the time I was done, feeling renewed, feeling bolstered in my strength, their corpses helping to further my new experiments into unlife, they told me, amongst the many lies, they told me truthfully in the end they were after that journal the journal I took from that merchant, and they told me what lie within it. They themselves, masters of the runes, or at least, having a basic understanding. This journal, they claimed, was desired by the circle who wanted it back at any cost. In retrospect, this entire ordeal with the thieves was reminiscent of the Two of Diamonds. But now, I had a plan. While these two thieves were remarkably skilled and devoted to their quest, it still cost them their lives and gave me insights because now I knew that on every full moon, the circle, apparently, would meet in a pre-designated location, 
a place of power, a place I was certain I could use my own considerable magical talents to divine. And throughout the rest of the icy winter, I did just that, feeling my sorceries with missing children from the village, or perhaps a lost goat, or even a beloved house cat not returning from its usual night out mousing. With the coming of spring and the cracking of the great sheets of ice filling the fjord, I secured passage on one of the long, narrow ships used by these warlike tribes in their raids on their soft-skinned neighbors to the south. While securing passage cost me dearly, the now insistent pounding in my head, my own divinations driving me ever forward, out into the treacherous, icy oceans of the north and to a distant, isolated island, treeless and unadorned besides massive, monolithic rocks, leaning out and leering down at all who dared to try and step foot upon the island. I dared to step upon the island. I dared to walk beneath their towering edifices, I dared to follow the current card which fate had dealt me, the Nine of Diamonds. For inside this towering ring of stone monoliths sat a bear. Well, I thought it was a bear. It was, in fact, a man seated cross-legged with his back towards me, his shoulders swaddled in a magnificent cloak of fur, as stark white as the new-fallen snow. As I entered into the circle, this towering hulk of a man, heads and shoulders taller than me, slowly stood to his feet and turned to face me. Glistening with sweat despite the freezing temperatures, his unclad chest rippled as he brought his giant two-handed maul up to his shoulder. Not seemingly concerned with my appearance at all, he gave a smug smile and said, it took you long enough, foul sorcerer. I have been here waiting for you. I'm glad you picked up on my emanations. I am Bjorn of the Circle. And today, foul sorcerer, today will be the end of your wicked deeds. At first, I nearly scoffed at his rather boisterous boasting. Despite his immense size and bear-like strength, there's no way this mere mortal man could possibly overcome the power of my magics. However, as he raised his massive maul to the sky and charged out towards me, leveling one of my crooked, bony fingers towards him, I unleashed a powerful word of magic. The same magic I used to wither and strip the life from those merchants. However, the powerful green arc of my energy washed over this warrior, and the stones around started to glow an unearthly green. What manner of devilish trap is this was the only thing I could think, as this giant man, propelled by inner animalistic strength, charged towards me with that horrific maul in hand. One swipe from that would crack my bony body in half, Luckily, there were shadows aplenty cast by the towering megalithic stones, and I stepped into the shadows of one of them and melded with them. However, as I turned to try and leave from the circle, the giant man laughed out loud. 
You cannot escape from here, foul sorcerer. The stones will not let you. Death and decay have no power here, for they belong to nature. Within this circle, a true follower of nature cannot be harmed. And with that, he reached deep into the folds of the bare cloak around his shoulders and pulled forth a strange stone tablet inscribed with similar runes to the journal. Tracing the runes and reciting some arcane words of magic, the tablet glowed briefly with power and then dissolving into dust. The burst of energy let forth by this tablet thrust me out of the shadows in front of him, and I hastily begun to weave one last-ditch effort to once and for all vanquish the towering warrior in front of me. Taking a step out of the narrative here for a second, because this is the first time we've had an adversary event, this involves a challenge roll. A challenge roll is 2d6 against the adversary's difficulty, which in this case is a 9, because it's a 9 of diamonds. Therefore, this is a very challenging task for us, as we will roll 2d6, attempting to beat a 9. We roll a 6, we have no bonuses, we have no negatives, so we fail. We could burn a doom to re-roll, but instead, we will merely lose one resolve bringing our resolve to two. And don't forget, we immediately lose the game if our resolve decreases to zero. This fur-clad barbarian was a machine. There was little to nothing I could do to affect him with my current repertoire of spells, as he was seemingly immune to them within this circle of stones. Enchanted or empowered by whatever juridic magic infused this towering circle of monolithic stones. I assumed, correctly of course, that this proud warrior would follow some sort of pathetic code of honor, doing no harm to somebody who surrendered willingly. And luckily for me, my gamble paid off. Falling to my bony knees with a rather painful crunch, I prostrated myself before the warrior, shamelessly trying to preserve my own life. The warrior merely scoffed at me, hefting his maul, raising it high in the sky to bring it crashing down on my emaciated head. And with a loud thwump, the maul buried itself directly beside my head. And Bjorn, the name of this proud, bear-like warrior, gruffly raised me to my feet, bound my hands, relieved me of my possessions, and took me as his prisoner. Yet again, in the span of less than five years, I was once again a prisoner, although this time to a mortal. I had felt like I was accomplishing something. I had felt like I had renewed my strength, my vigor, even regained a little bit of my lost youth sucked away from me by that demon. However, it was actually my lowest point, now a prisoner to a mortal, a mere man, bound because of my hubris, my blind belief in my own abilities to overcome a set battlefield by an enemy. Bjorn led me over to one of the great monoliths of stone, reciting garbled words, harsh and nonsensical. Runes appeared to light up the side of one of the monoliths in front of us, and plunging his hands inside, Bjorn spread apart the rock, forming a doorway. 
which he stepped into, leading me roughly behind him, and my world was turned upside down. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to this spooky episode of One Guy, One Roll. I've been really enjoying playing the game Lichdom, although it can be a little challenging sometimes to really tie the meaning of the cards to the narrative because they're fairly concise and to the point about the narrative displayed on the cards. But having an outline of an idea like this Nine of Diamonds attracted the attention of a famous warrior set to end your life. And the clever warrior seeks you relentlessly carrying some protection against magic. That, to me, tells me very little within the current context of where the story was, but slight tweaking, and we get one of the druids of the circle, a powerful warrior, who has set the battlefield amongst the towering stone pillars probably erected by his order. It just is fun that way. And then, of course, there's lots of questions asked by each one of these cards, and I more or less have been following a narrative that's been coming organically from the story instead of what's just being led by the cards. Since we haven't really had any positive cards drawn yet, we have nothing to add any bonuses to these rolls, which is why it seems so hard. I mean, it's absolutely possible to roll a 9 on 2d6, but not likely. So as we progress further into the story, as long as our resolve doesn't end up completely tanking, We should pick up things to give us bonuses to rolls instead of always facing against these adversarial conditions without any companions or artifacts or anything like that. Anyways, things at work are slowing down now that we're heading towards the holiday season. So it is my intention to try and keep up a more constant routine of publishing podcasts, but Of course, that could always go out the window, just the nature of what I do for work. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It means so much to me that people just want to tune in and listen to me rambling on for a half an hour whenever I get a chance to get one of these published. That said, I do have a Patreon if you wish to provide financial support for the podcast, assist me in getting new equipment. I really do need to get a new mic. This one's okay, but I want something a little more professional. My Patreons also allow me to help keep the podcast ad-free, as that was always one of my intentions, but I didn't quite realize just the ongoing costs that are associated with hosting, software licensing, and all that. Anyways, please check out the Patreon on patreon.com slash one guy one roll. Your support is extremely appreciated, especially the members of the Solo Role Playing Guild, including Master JL, Journeyman James, Journeyman Matt, Journeyman Nick, and Apprentice Jesse. Huge thank you to you guys. I really appreciate your support. And everybody else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the One Guy, One Roll podcast. As always, I've been your host, player, and GM Hero Cities signing off. Have a great day and stay safe out there, y'all.